Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning, as we take a look at the life of Jesus and how he lived on earth, we notice that he says that he came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father. We read that in verse number 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And so we see in Jesus that he was fully committed to the will of the Father. He was fully committed to the will of God, if we're going to kind of put that into our context. So generally speaking, regarding our lives, uh, people tend to uh, divide, if you will, God's will into two specific categories. Both of these apply to all of us, but uh, generally speaking, we can say that the first half is the general will of God for all people, meaning there are some things that apply to everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you were born, no matter whether you're a man or a woman, no matter whether you grew up going to church or you've never been to church in your life. Uh, once you get saved, it doesn't matter all of these different things. These are words that apply to you. I can preach confidently and read the word of God and know no matter who you are, if you're saved, this applies to you. God wants this for you. One of the things that we know that is true, that is God's will for every believer, is a life of holiness. It is a life of purity. I can say without a shadow of a doubt, it is not God's will for any of you to sin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. It is God's will that you abstain from sin. Amen? Hey, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your different vices that you fall into, the temptations. It is God's will for you to live in holiness and in purity. Another thing that I know that is true for every single one of us is that God wants us to be grateful. He wants us to be thankful people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Hey, I know that there's a lot of things going around. I know that there's a lot of issues and problems and obstacles that you might be facing in your life. But I know, and you know as well, that it is God's will for you to be thankful. Amen? Amen. To be thankful in everything. You might be going through a down season right now, but even if you're going through a down season, God wants you to be thankful. He wants you to be thankful because you can be thankful. If you're a believer today, then your sins are forgiven. If you're a believer today, your eternity is secure. If you're a believer today, then you'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. We have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? Our life here on earth is short, but eternity is forever. And we have so much to be thankful for. Yes, the down seasons are difficult. Yes, the down seasons are tough to go through, but still we can be thankful. It is God's will for us to submit to our authorities. Right? I notice there's no amens there. <laughs> right? A little bit harder for us to swallow. Like, oh, I really do? Well, that's what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
Here we have this institution of the government, and God is telling us, you know what, submit yourselves. Obviously, there is that uh, 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 passage where, you know, Peter and John, they were said, well, whether we should obey you or whether we should obey God, you decide. But when it comes to the ordinances that are not in conflict with God and his word, the Bible makes it clear, all right? Tax season is coming up. Or actually, we're in tax season, right? The deadline's coming up. You, you look at that number and you're like, you took how much of my money, right? And you might feel like, ah, I don't really don't want to give it, but the ordinance is the ordinance. And so God wants us to do those things that we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about servants, be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So God desires for us to submit to the authority that we have. And parents, that's a, a, a big part that we play to help our children to learn and to understand. You might not always agree with the rules. You might not always agree with the way that we do things. And one day you'll be independent and you can make your own rules. But while you are here under authority, it's good for you to obey. And all the parents said, Amen. <laughs> right? You know, that's good. And that's a good thing to learn at a young age. So all of these things and others would fall under, under what we might call the general will of God, which is, all right, I know that no matter who you are, these things apply to you. All right? To be thankful, right? To be pure, to be holy, to submit to authority, these things and others, right? These all fall under the general will that I know that these apply for all of you. But then there's another part that's, well, it's a little bit more difficult because it's not, it's not the same for everybody, right? We, we might call this the specific will of God. So you have a general will that God says, yes, everybody should be pure, but there are other aspects of life where it's not like I can look at the Bible and say, well, this is exactly what you should do in this situation. You know, after salvation, the biggest decision for, for pretty much everybody is who you will marry, right? the biggest decision. Who are you going to spend the rest of your life? You're going to commit yourself to this person. Who are you going to marry? There's no verse in the Bible that says that Richard, thou shalt marry Esther. I never saw that in the Bible. And so there's no way that I could have known that from the word of God. There's a specific will for God that God wanted me to marry my wife Esther. Now, how are you supposed to know that? <laughs> Right? It's easy for us to look at the Bible and read a verse and say, ah, I know what that verse says, and I know that that verse applies to me because it's talking about everybody. But who am I supposed to marry? What, what job am I supposed to take? When I, what college should I go to? What, what should I major in? What, should I live here? Should I move? Should I buy a house? All of these different sorts of decisions are decisions that are specific to you. And that's where your personal relationship with God is so vital and important. This is the area where your personal walk with God cannot be substituted with anything else. You might come to church on a Sunday, and you might sit here in the service, and I might preach the Word of God, or you might go to your Life Connection class and hear the Word of God being taught and shared, and people might share their experiences and, and, and show how, well, during this time of my life, this is a verse that God used. And, and you can use all of those things, and those can be helpful for you, but ultimately, if you are to know God's specific will for your life, you need to have a personal walk with God. So you've got to have that relationship with God where you're getting into God's word yourself and saying, God, what do you want me to do today? 
God, what do you want me to do in this big, major decision in my life? What direction do you want me to take? And uh, we did have just the, the youth group come back from a youth conference, and sometimes the big question for uh, teenagers and those that are, you know, kind of in the younger years is, what is God's will for my life? Sometimes it feels like a big mystery. What does God want for me to do? What, what, what direction should I take in my life? And sometimes it can feel confusing, but I want you to know that God wants you to know his will for you. All right, God's not trying to keep it a secret, and if you happen to find out, oh, you know, it's like where you keep your, you know, Christmas gifts hidden, you know, you hide your Christmas gifts, and, and uh, you know, the kids come in there, and finally you're like, oh, I was trying to keep that a secret from you. Well, God's will is not one of those secrets where he's trying to keep it from you. He wants you to know it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. See, God wants you to know the direction you should take in your life. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might, ye might be filled with the knowledge of his, of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So God wants you to know his will. He wants you to know his will because there is nothing better for your life than the will of God. Amen? There is nothing better for your life and your future than the will of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 10, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, when you think about heaven, what do you think about? Right? When you think about heaven, we often think about the perfect place, right? We think about the place that, that there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no separation, it's eternal sunlight, you're with the Lord, the streets are paved with gold, you are with all of the saints for all of eternity. It's a perfect place, and heaven is the perfect place because all that is in heaven happens according to God's will. Everything that God desires for is there in heaven. Nothing happens in heaven against God's will. And so to do God's will, in a way, is to bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. And Jesus fully committed himself to the will of the Father because the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect for you. That verse again in verse number 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. We see Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So the question for us this morning is, are we committed to the will of God? Are we committed to God's will? And this morning, I want to see three reasons why we should commit to God's will. What is it in God's will that we could confidently say, yes, this is uh, the best thing for my life if I were to follow and to obey the will of God? First of all, we see that God wants you to be saved. 
God wants you to be saved. The reason why God's will is the best thing for you is because God wants you to be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God's will is perfect for you, and God's will is the best thing for you because God wants you to be saved. In verse number 35, we see that God asks nothing of you for salvation. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. See, God in salvation doesn't ask you to do anything. He simply asks you to believe. There is nothing that you can do in order to be saved, in order to participate in salvation. You don't have to pay anything. And there are so many, lie, uh, so many things in life that are said to be free, right? You ever sign up for something that they said, this is free? And then you found out later, well, technically it wasn't free, right? right? I remember when I was younger, um, you know, when, when the internet was getting big and, you know, people were signing up for email, right? You could have a free email address. And then Google came out with this email, right? Gmail. And I remember I signed up for Gmail and everybody was signing up for Gmail. And then years down the road, we all found out, oh, it's free, but uh, not really because they search all of your emails and they find out all the things that they're interested in and they sell all of your information to advertisers and now all these advertisers know everything about you and now everybody's like, oh, I don't know if I'm so comfortable with that. Yes, your service is free, but is it really free? And sometimes you sign up for one thing, they offer you something, but in, in, in return, they want you to buy something else. And, and sometimes there are some uh, things that are advertised as being free, but really they're trying to get something out of you. When God says that salvation is free, it's really free. It re he really just wants you to be saved, and he offers it at no price. Salvation is also available for you, as we see in verse number 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Anybody who asks God to save them from their sins by trusting in Jesus Christ alone to be their Savior, God always receives. God always says yes. God always says, I will save you. That's God's will for your life. He says, you want to be saved? That's what I want. And if you want to be saved, if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, I will save you. I promise that salvation is also assured for us, as he says in verse number 39. And this is the Father's will which he has sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So God's will is that you would be saved for all of eternity. And because he wants you to be saved for all of eternity, he says, I'm not going to leave salvation up to you. I'm going to make sure that I'm the one that holds on to this. You know, throughout the year, during, you know, birthdays or things like that, Christmas, uh, sometimes people will give gifts to my children. You know, they'll have birthday gifts and things like that here and there and all, all of these sorts of things. And sometimes they give my kids cash, okay? They give my kids cash and they'll say, hey, I want you to go buy something or this is for you, you could buy something or whatever, you know, they, they do these things. Now, uh, my older child knows a little bit about money and understands what it is and, and you use it in order to buy things and things like that. My younger child doesn't really know what it is. 
And because she doesn't really know what it is, she'll hold on to it and then she will lose it, <laughs> right? She'll put it down somewhere because she saw a rock on the ground and she wants to play with the rock and, and things like that. And as a parent, I know how valuable money is, even if my child does not. And my child, even if they know how valuable it is, sometimes they put it in a pocket and then forget it's there. Sometimes they put it down and then forget where they put it. As a parent, because I want to make sure they don't lose it, I don't leave it up to them. I say, give me the money. <laughs> and I'm going to hold on to it for you because I know you're going to lose it. And so we have these little jars at home, and uh, one of them is tithe, you know, so 10% of what you give, you give to God. So we have a tithe jar, and then we have a save jar, and then we have a spend jar. And so we take the money and we split it up into these three different jars, and they say, all right, this is a tithe jar. What is it, and what do you do with it? We give it to God, okay? This is a save jar, okay? You should always save money. Don't just spend all the money that you have. You save it, all right? What does a kid have to buy? They don't have to buy anything, but still, we put it in the save jar. And then we put some money in the spend jar, okay? Sometimes we'll go out and we'll be shopping at a store. We'll go out here or there and things like that. And sometimes they say, I really want to buy this. And I say, you really want to buy it? I really want this. And I was like, well, if you really want it, we're not going to buy it for you, but you have some money. You can buy it if you really want to, but you need to understand what it is and how much it, you know, and all of these things. And sometimes they do buy these things, but I, because I understand a little bit better what money is, how valuable it is, I don't let my kids hold on to it, I keep it for them. And when they want to buy it, then I give it to them. And God says, salvation is so important. It's too important for me to let you hang on to it. So I'm going to hang on to it. That's why Jesus said, I will, uh, as he says in verse number 39, I should lose nothing, but should raise him up again at that last day. Lastly, we see that God's will for you is to be saved because salvation is abiding forever. In verse number 40, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, God wants you to be saved because salvation is forever. Now, you came here to church today. I'm glad that you're here at church today, but God's number one purpose in your life is that you would be saved. Now, you might come to church and you might hear the gospel and you might understand that you're a sinner and that sin has wages for the wages of sin is death. And you might understand that there's no way that you could pay for your own sins. You needed somebody to pay for those sins for you on the cross. And so Jesus sent his only begotten son, the perfect son of God to this earth to die on the cross. He died on that cross. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again so that you and I could be saved. That is God's will for you. That's why God's will is the best thing for you. Because to not choose God's will in salvation is to choose eternal destruction in hell. And God says, I don't want that for you. I want the best for you. I want you to go to heaven. I want you to be saved. I want you to be saved so badly that I will send my only begotten son to die on the cross for your sins. I will make sure that salvation is free so that anybody could be saved. So one reason why God's will is the best thing for your life is because God wants you to be saved. The second reason is because God wants you to see. Turn to John chapter number seven. You're in John chapter number six. Turn one chapter forward, John chapter number seven. In verse number 14, he says, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to, into the temple and taught and the Jews marveled saying, how knoweth this man letters having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, 
my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And in verse number 17, he says, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now, if you're here at church this morning, uh, participating in the service, uh, I would assume that most of you, if not all of you, fairly well know what the Bible says about God's will for your life. Meaning, if I said, it is God's will for you not to sin, probably nobody here would be surprised, right? Nobody here would be like, what? I've never heard this before. God doesn't want me to sin. We would all know that already, right? That would be fairly obvious, right? God wants us to be thankful. God wants us to know all of these things. But there's something more than just knowing what God wants us to do. There's a deeper understanding and a spiritual sight that God wants to give you. And he describes this process of how we could understand spiritually, which is you learn, you apply, and then you understand. You learn, you apply, and then you understand. Which is not exactly how we as humans want to do things. We want to learn and then understand, and then we will apply, right? I want to learn what to do, and I want to learn why and all of these things about why. And then if I understand it, then I will do it. But God says that's not how the spiritual world works. If you want to understand it, you have to do it first. You have to receive it. You have to learn it. You have to apply it. And then you will understand. That's the aspect of faith, which is, God, you're telling me to do this. And I don't really totally understand why, but I'm going to do it and trust that you will show me later why. When I was a tutor, I would sometimes do that with my students. You know, I would teach them math and I would teach them, this is how you do this problem. This is how the equation works. This is what you do. And these are the steps. And, and sometimes they would not understand it. And I would say, okay, I understand that you don't understand, but trust me, this works. <laughs> and because it works, you just do it. And one day, Hopefully, you will understand. And sometimes there needs to be that application first. And God says to us, the first step, of course, is instruction. That's mostly what we do in the church services. Why do we have weekly church services? Why do we have a life connection class? Why do we have a Sunday night, Wednesday night service? Why do we encourage you to read your Bible, do all of these things? Because you need to learn what God says, right? That's step number one. I got to find out what he says, what he told me in his word. We must hear the word of God. That's why a regular church attendance is good for you so that you might have a consistent diet of the nourishment of God's word, all right? So that's why we come to church. So that we might hear, oh, this is what the Bible says. Now, if that's all that it took for us to have godly understanding, then everybody who went to church where they preached the word of God faithfully and just said, this is what the Bible says, we would all be holy, pure, fully committed Christians to the Lord, right? If all it took was knowledge, then of course we would all be there. But as we know, that is not always the case. So what could be the difference? Well, I believe... Step number two is implementation. So you need some instruction to receive, to know what the Bible says, and then you need to commit yourself to doing it. This is how Jesus closes the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. He has this whole three-chapter uh, message. 
And he concludes in verse number 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So Jesus concludes his sermon on the mount of the illustration between those that hear and do and those that hear and do not. There's a big difference, and the difference was not in the hearing, the difference was in the doing. And God says those that hear and do, they are wise. Those that hear but do not are foolish. And we all know that we have to not just learn, we have to implement, we have to do it. If all it took was knowledge, then every single one of us would look like bodybuilders and we would look like professional athletes because every one of us knows that exercise is good for us, right? You want to build muscles? You work out. You lift heavy things up and you put them back down, right? You run on the treadmill. You go run outside. You do all of these things. That's how you get fit. That's how you build muscle. That's how you do all of these things. All of us knows that, right? We all know that. <laughs> but I don't look like a professional bodybuilder, do I? <laughs> right? It's not just the knowledge. You've got to do it. You've got to implement it. You've got to put it into action. That's why the psalmist says, Psalm, in Psalm 143, verse number 10, teach me to do thy will. Isn't that interesting? He didn't just say, teach me thy will. He said, teach me to do thy will. He needed God to teach him God's will, but also he needed God to teach him to do it as well. That then leads to illumination. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Uh, I, I read in a commentary, spiritual understanding is not produced solely by learning facts or procedures, but rather it depends on obedience to known truth. Spiritual understanding is not just from, well, I know that that's what the Bible says, but I know that that's what the Bible says, and I'm doing it in my own personal life. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 5 says, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You see there at the beginning, it talks about faith and virtue and knowledge. Those are good things. Those are things that you want, things that you need. But you notice later on, it talks about patience and godliness and charity. Those are things not just that you know, but things that you do. And if you don't do them, the Bible says he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You know what God is saying? If you learn but do not, you start losing your spiritual vision. You start losing your spiritual sight. You're not able to see so clearly. You're not able to see what's, under, uh, what's so far off and understand what's coming your way. G. Campbell Morgan said, When men are wholly, completely consecrated to the will of God, 
and want to do that above everything else, then they find out that Christ's teaching is divine and that it is the teaching of God. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. So we've seen this morning how God's will is the best thing for you because he wants you to be saved. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants to save you from your sins. That's God's will for your life. God's will for your life is also spiritual understanding so that you might understand what's going on around you and be able to have some better decision-making moving forward. Thirdly, we see that God's will is the best for you because God wants you to be satisfied. John chapter 4, if you want to turn back there with me, we took a look at this passage not too long ago, but we're, we're going to take a look at verse number 31. And we saw how Jesus, he went to Samaria, he preached the gospel to the woman at the well. This woman had some questions, he answered the questions, gave, and showed him how he was the Messiah, how he was the one that they had been waiting for. And during this whole time, while Jesus is having this conversation, the disciples have gone into the city in order to buy food for them to eat. They had been traveling from Judea up to uh, Galilee, and so they were hungry, they needed to buy food. So they went in to buy some food, and Jesus, in the meantime, is having this conversation. The woman goes back into to the city to tell everybody, this is the Messiah. I think I'm at the side. You have to go out and see him. And in the meantime, while she goes back, the disciples have come out. So the disciples come out to Jesus in verse number 31, and it says, in the meantime, or in the mean, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. They said, hey, we bought food. Here's the food. Eat it. Verse 32, but he said unto them, I have meat, that, meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples, one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? Said, does, does he have a secret stash? Did somebody bring him food? Does somebody feel bad for him? How, what is he saying when he says, I have, I have something to eat that you, you, you don't know about? In verse 34, he says, Jesus said, saith unto, uh, unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What we see in Jesus is that he was fully satisfied doing the will of the Father. To do the will of God, if we're going to put it that way, to do the will of God will bring you more satisfaction. Psalms 40, verse number 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And so many times when we take a look and we see people on social media, we see successful athletes or businessmen or businesswomen, people involved in whatever area of life, so often we think, wow, they must be so happy having accomplished the successes that they were hoping for. And yet, the more that we find out about some of these individuals, we find out that they found really very little satisfaction in their successes. This past week, the world's number one women's tennis player, Ash Barty, retired. She's 25 years old, and she has retired from professional tennis. Number one, if you know anything about tennis, your mid-20s is kind of your peak. That's like, that's, you're really hitting your zone there. You, you're still young, still got the, you know, the physical strength and endurance, but you've also got some experience. I mean, the mid-20s is really, for the most part, kind of where you hit your peak, and you're really there. Right in the middle of that, the world's number one tennis player says, I'm done. And in an interview with another, I think, former tennis player, this is what 
was said, the tennis star said she had been thinking about the decision for a long time, but that it was winning the Grand Slam title at Wimbledon last year that changed her perspective. So she had been thinking about retirement. Last year, she won Wimbledon, which is one of the Grand Slams, one of the most famous tournaments in tennis. And this is what she said, despite achieving her one true dream of winning Wimbledon, Barty said that there was a little part of her that wasn't quite satisfied and wasn't quite fulfilled, end quote. Isn't that interesting? Somebody who hit the peak says, I did the thing that I was hoping my whole life to do, and when I did it, I felt a little empty. I felt like there was something still missing. Tom Brady, as we know, he's won seven Super Bowls. Early on in his career, he won three of them very quickly. And to win three Super Bowls in your entire career kind of puts you right up there near the top of kind of the all-time list. And he had won it very early on. And in an interview, after the first three, Tom Brady asked the question, is this it? Is this it? You're at the top of the game. And the question in your mind is, is this it? I, I was listening to uh, or reading uh, about somebody who, they work in finance, they get to talk with all of these really successful businessmen and get to interview them, talk with them, hang out with them. And he said about some of these people, he said, some of the most talented businessmen that he knows could not be described as happy. He said he would describe more of them as tortured. Isn't that interesting? But you know, if we looked at the Bible, we would know, first of all, that God wants us to be satisfied and that that satisfaction is found in his will. See, a lot of people are trying to find satisfaction in other places. Oh, if I could just be successful in my business and in my career, if I could just accomplish my goal of starting my own business, if I could become a CEO or reach the, this certain level in my career, if I, if I could finally make it up to that point, well, wow, that would be the dream of my life. I'd be so happy and satisfied if I got there. Oh, if I could just make a certain amount of money in a year, if I, I could own my own home and have a million dollars or plus to be able to retire and be able to buy this car and, and take whatever vacations I want and be able to uh, enjoy all, the, all of the things that money could buy, I, I would just be so satisfied. That, that would be my goal in life. That's my dream. I'll be 100% fulfilled in my life if I were able to be there, if I were able to you know, uh, uh, do all of these things and just enjoy the pleasures of life, if I could just go travel, buy the things, that I want to buy and see the things that I want to see and enjoy the things of life and enjoy all of the pleasures of life, then, then I would just be so fulfilled and so happy. And yet, if we look at the Bible, we actually see somebody who did all of those things. He accomplished. He was at the top of the game. There was nobody else higher than him. He was wealthier than anybody else. He was more intellectual than anybody else. He was more able to please himself with all of the pleasures of life more than anybody else. And he wrote a book about it called the book of Ecclesiastes. And at the end of it, his conclusion was vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He said, I, I tried to satisfy myself with all of the things. And he says, don't even bother trying to satisfy yourself and your life with all of those things. You're just going to come up empty because I've been there already. Solomon was the king of Israel. There's no higher position than the king. If he says you're dead, he's dead. There's no other, there's no alternative. Whatever he says goes. He's at the very top. 
He was wealthy. You read, the, you read the account of the temple. You read the account of his home. You read the account of just all of the things that were in his life and the people that were bringing gifts to him. He was wealthier than anybody else. We know famously how wealthy he was, how wise he was, how intellectual he was, how much learning he had in his life. He, he could just fulfill his pleasures as much as he wanted. And yet in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse number 2, he says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity what profit hath a man of all his labor which he hath taken under the sun in verse number 16 of ecclesiastes 1 he says i'm going to try to find satisfaction in knowledge in growing in, in intellect he says i communed with my own heart saying lo i am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in jerusalem yea my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge he says i i know more than anybody else i'm the smartest man alive he says in verse 17 and i gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly and i perceive that this also is vexation of spirit he said, I, I spent my whole life trying to learn more and more and more and to learn more about everything. And yet at the end of it, I found out it just, it just bothered me deep inside. It was a vexation of spirit. He said, well, well, that didn't seem to work. So let me try something else. He said, well, I'm going to try to find satisfaction in the pleasures of life. Just whatever makes me feel good, I'm just going to throw that at myself and just dive right in. Chapter two, verse number one. I said in my heart, go to now, I will provide thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, whatever makes you happy. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainted my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I, I gave myself to drink, in verse number four, I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees of, in, in them of all kind of fruits, and I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. And he says, I, I, I made all of this stuff. I thought, wow, it'd be great if I could build this and add this to my house. And wouldn't it be great if we had an orchard over here and a little garden over here and we put these plants over here, just make it really nice and beautiful. And of course, we need some water. It's a beautiful nature area. I just need this place separate away from the city, just a place to get away as a part of nature. And he says, ah, that, that wasn't enough. In verse number seven, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house also i had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in jerusalem before me he says well i have all of these services whatever i want i just talk to somebody and say do this for me and they do it for me and they go get it for me and they outdo whatever i ask of them and he says i have more possessions than anybody else verse number eight i gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces i got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts he says i, I have more money than anybody else and that wasn't enough. And so I said, well, maybe music. I, I just need some great entertainment. And so I got all the best singers, the men singers, the women singers. I got all of the best instrumentalists. I got them to come to me and play and that of all sorts. So I was great. And increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. He said, even with all of that pleasure, I, I, I kept that wisdom that was with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. He says, whatever I wanted, 
I got. I've withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hand had wrought. He said, I looked at everything that I did in my life, all of my accomplishments, and on all the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. There was no profit under the sun. He said, I I threw myself at all the pleasures of life, and at the end of it, I looked back on it, and I said, wow, that was empty. Still not satisfied. Well, what about career? We we saw some of that earlier, but in in chapter 3, verse number 9, what profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? In career and in success, he tried to find satisfaction there. He said, okay, maybe, maybe I'll just try to find it in like making sure that the justice system is perfect. Verse number 16, and moreover I saw in the sun the place of judgment that wickedness was there and the place of righteousness that iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. In verse number seven of chapter six, all the labor of man is for his mouth and yet the appetite is not filled. Solomon tried everything that every person on earth is trying right now. You're trying to go for success? He tried that. You're you're trying to make the most money? He tried that. Oh, you're trying to uh, uh, please yourself and just throw yourself at whatever makes you feel happy? He tried that. He, he, He tried everything. Maybe if I just learned a little bit more, if I'm just a little bit smarter, then I, then I would be satisfied. He tried all of those things. And he found none of them satisfying. The end of the book concludes with his conclusion. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I tried everything, and let me tell you the conclusion I came to in life. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. He said, you want to try to find satisfaction in making more money? I didn't find satisfaction there. You know what will find you, bring you more satisfaction? Fear God and keep his commandments. Oh, you, you think that you'll be so happy in life just pleasing yourself with whatever makes you feel good? I tried that, and I wasn't satisfied. You know what will bring you more satisfaction? Fear God and do his commandments. Oh, you, you think that if you were to just be so successful and, and accomplish all of this and be able to uh, reach your dreams and, and do all of those things? You say, I, I found no satisfaction in all of those things. Let me, let me guide you with my conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know why God's will is the best for your life? Because it'll satisfy unlike the things of the world. Well, you could throw yourself at your career if you want. You could throw yourself at trying to make all this money. You could try to throw yourself at being popular on social media. Uh, of just pleasing yourself, drinking and eating and going out and getting involved with the world and doing all of these things. You could try all of that. Solomon tried all of that. And he found no satisfaction. Psalm 37, verse number four says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You know what I believe what this verse is saying? I believe what this verse is saying is, if you delight yourself in God, you will find yourself to be satisfied. He will give you the desires of your heart. 
You will be satisfied at the end of the day. You'll be satisfied at the end of your life. You'll be satisfied looking back and, and saying, yeah, maybe I didn't make as much money as that guy. Maybe I didn't climb as high the corporate ladder as this other person. Maybe I didn't get to go on these vacations or go travel to these places or be able to experience some of these things like some of the other people did. And I don't know how they're doing, but I'm satisfied. God's will is the best for your life because he wants you to be satisfied. God made us and he made us in his own image. And he knows what will satisfy us. And so God says, let me, let me give you some counsel and advice. I know what will satisfy you. And if you will simply follow my will, you will find satisfaction.